Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Jesus was intentional. On the cross, Jesus intentionally paid the cost for our sins and experienced the wrath of God for us. He willingly endured the darkness of life without God so that through Him, we could have eternal life. Part three of Cheryl's message titled, What Will You Do With Jesus? You know, Jesus came and he was on mission. He had an intention. And every word that Jesus said was intentional. Sometimes as you read, you're like, oh, Jesus, if you didn't say that, you wouldn't have gotten in so much trouble. If you didn't heal on the Sabbath, if you had just kept your healing from Sunday to Friday, you wouldn't have gotten in trouble. But there was an intentionality in what Jesus did. He was bringing something out. There's an intentionality in every word Jesus used. Jesus was speaking and he said, it's not that which goes into a man that defiles him, but that which comes out because it's in the heart that murder and thievery and all this ugliness exist. And the disciples come to Jesus and they said, you know what? The Pharisees were really upset by what you said. In other words, the disciples are saying, you might want to calm it down around the Pharisees. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he says, leave them alone. In other words, I'm not trying to impress or pacify or get along. I've come to tell the truth and I've come to die for the truth. This is why I've come to expose the evil in the heart of every man and to show every man that he needs the salvation that I am bringing and that I will procure by the cross. Jesus was absolutely intentional in every word, in every act, in every healing. Often when you read the word of God, the gospels, you will say, why did Jesus do that? Or why did he do it this way? I want you to know that that why is very important. Do not leave it there. Do not just relegate it to like, well, I guess I don't know. No, stop there. Think about that why. Consider that why. Present that why to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, tell me the why. Tell me the why. And I want to tell you, when you think about the why Jesus did it, heaven will open up to you and you will end up praising the Lord as you never have before. Personally, I love the why questions. I love it because it makes me have to go deeper into the word of God, deeper into Jesus Christ, deeper into the work of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit brings us understanding The Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance the things that Jesus has said. 
Don't be afraid of a why question because there's an answer. There's always an answer. And the answer is more glorious than you could ever expect. Sometimes we're afraid of why questions like, what if I don't like the answer? What if the answer diminishes from the glory of Jesus? It won't. It won't diminish. It will electrify the glory of Jesus to your mind. It will bring it home. As a child growing up, as I've told you before, I think I was born again at two and three and four and five and six. My mother made sure. I remember I was baptized for the first time at seven. And my mother said, do you understand? And I had to explain to her why I wanted to be baptized. And then she let me be baptized. I remember my first communion. I was dying to take communion. I wanted the grape juice and the cracker. But my mom was so suspicious that my motives were only to be like everybody else, to fit in, or maybe just to have, you know, an activity during church besides sitting quiet and still that I'd actually be able to drink and eat or even hunger just because I liked saltines and grape juice. And she made me explain to her why and what I thought of the cup and what I thought of the bread. And I remember saying to my mom, I just want Jesus, mom. I just want Jesus. I want as much of Jesus as I can possibly get. And I remember when the usher came that night that I got to have my very first communion. And no, I didn't wear a white dress in the Catholic church. It was at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. I remember the usher coming and my mom shaking her head, yes. Cheryl gets communion. I still remember to this day, and I think I was five, I remember when I first got to to take that cracker and put it in my mouth and think, Jesus died for me. His body was broken for me. I was so ecstatic. I could barely sit still, and it was communion. I was supposed to sit still. And then I got to take the cup myself. My mom let me take the cup myself. And I was so careful because I didn't want to spill one bit of that juice. I wanted, I wanted to take it in and know that Jesus had forgiven all my sins, that his blood was working for this little girl. This little girl let the children come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And I remember, I remember that communion And I remember my baptism, all three of them. Nobody else gets baptized three times. But I remember being at the Jordan River. And I think I told you this before. My dad said it was our first trip to Israel. And nobody was lining up to be baptized because they had all been baptized before. And he says, Cheryl, how would you like to set an example and be baptized in the Jordan like Jesus? I said, all right. So I was the first person that Chuck Smith baptized in the Jordan River. You think that means anything to me? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember. But I remember that baptism. Again, going under the water of the Jordan, thinking Jesus went under this water, this same river, and coming up, identifying with Jesus Christ. I want to be all in. I want people to look at me and know 
I belong to Jesus. The why, the why of baptism, the why of communion is so important. Never, never fear a why. It will bring you into greater glory with Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, Jesus said, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life totally intentional that I may take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I've received from my father. On the cross, Jesus was intentionally dying for our sins. He was paying the cost intentionally. He was experiencing the wrath of God intentionally. The deep darkness that descended from 12 o'clock till three o'clock was the forsakenness that Jesus received as the Father turned away. And as the Father turned away, darkness descended. It descended. It came. It gradually fell, descended as the Father began to turn his whole demeanor away. And Jesus experienced the great darkness of life without God. What men who choose hell, and it is a choice, receive Jesus' experience that. So no one would ever have to experience that. Jesus experienced utter aloneness. The, no person would ever have to feel alone. Jesus experienced the wrath of God that no one else would ever have to perish. The darkness is the result of men turning from the light. And Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But observe the immediacy of his death or the accomplishment of his death. Jesus promised the repentant thief that that very day he would be with him in paradise. Verse 43. Now he says, today, assuredly, I say to you today, not tomorrow or in the far off future, but today, look at the immediacy of what Jesus was accomplishing. From that moment on, any who called upon the name of Jesus would be guaranteed paradise. But not only the immediacy, now, right now, but also with me. That sense that forever, from that moment forward, no one would have to live without Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Why? Because he said, today, this day, I will be with you. You will be with me in paradise. You will be with me, with me. I love the with me. I love the today, but I also love the in paradise. Not that you'll be outside paradise, answer the right questions, fill out the forms, and maybe they'll let you in. But know the immediacy, the surety. You will be with me in paradise. 
not outside, not on the outskirts, but you're going to come right inside and live with me in paradise. The immediacy. But look at the immediacy of the veil. Immediately, as Jesus died on the cross, the veil was ripped from top to bottom. God ripped the veil and said, there's no more separation. There's no more tabernacle that keeps people out. There's no more temple that keeps people out and only Levites, especially chosen, appointed, anointed, dressed right, can come in. But now through Jesus, we are all invited into the Holy of Holies. By Jesus' blood, we come in boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help. Now we can go boldly. Now we can talk to God at any time and be immediately into the throne room of grace. Oh, the immediacy. The gospel records that before Jesus dismissed his spirit, he prayed, he cried out, it is finished. Or telestai, paid in full, accomplished, done. The immediacy of this work It is done. Our debts are paid in full. He has done it. He has accomplished it. Then Jesus commended his selfless, sinless, submissive spirit to God. Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. This is a prayer that every Jewish child was taught to pray before bed. Maybe you prayed, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I awake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's a form of this prayer that every Jewish child would pray. Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Even in death, he is entrusting and trusting the Lord. There's never a moment of Jesus' entire existence And he is the Alpha and Omega that he has not absolutely trusted and entrusted to the Father. Everything. John chapter 17, as he prays, he entrusts the disciples. He entrusts those who would come to salvation through him. He entrusts us to the Father. What is most precious to Jesus, he entrusts to the Father. And even in death, he entrusts his spirit. He entrusts his life. And he commends it. I commend my spirit to you. Here it is. Search me and know me. Scrutinize. I'm all yours. You can't simply dismiss Jesus. You cannot dismiss his absolute innocence, his complete integrity, his selfless intercession, his kingly inscription, his unwavering intentionality and the immediacy of his accomplishment on the cross. Those who observed his death could not dismiss him. Everyone was affected in one way or another by the crucifixion of Jesus. Pilate was conflicted. Herod was displeased. 
Barabbas was released. The religious were exposed and enraged. The women were weeping. Simon of Cyrene was compelled. The soldiers were callous. The bystanders mocked. The followers of Jesus beat their breasts. The women from Galilee and the disciples stood afar off watching. Then later assembled and gathered spices to anoint him. The centurion was convinced certainly this was a righteous man, or as Matthew records, the son of God. What he was actually saying is certainly this was the only righteous man. Only. Here's this hardened centurion that no doubt saw hundreds upon hundreds of death, and he looks at Jesus' death and Jesus' demeanor, and he says, certainly, without a doubt, this is the only righteous man I've ever seen. He alone, the Son of God. Joseph of Arimathea was moved to action. Before he had been a secret follower of Jesus, but now he goes openly to Pilate and he begs for the body of Jesus. And he takes down the lifeless, limp body of Jesus and he chooses defilement with a corpse rather than celebrate the Passover with his family and friends. He with Nicodemus, embalms the body of Jesus. And John tells us that they took over 75 pounds of spices and this cloth to wrap around the body of Jesus. I love the fact that the women standing afar off watching 75 pounds of embalming ointment being placed on Jesus said, it's not enough. We've got to do our own. We've got to add ours to this. And then he laid Jesus in the tomb, the expensive, wealthy, new tomb that he owned, the tomb that everyone would know. This is the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. He said, I want to forever be associated with Jesus Christ, whatever that means, whatever that takes. He chose complete identification with Jesus You see, Jesus deserves so much more than simply our sorrow over the injustice of his death. It's not enough just to stand on the street and say, this was really bad. This should not have been done. This was illegal. This was unjust. This was wrong. He deserves more than our tears over his physical torture. Just like, oh, I can't stand to see that or hear that or look at that. He deserves more than simply our sympathies. Like, what a shame. He deserves more than our spices and our gifts. He deserves our dedication, our absolute devotion, and our determination to forever be associated and identified with Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea gave up his reputation, his security, his position, his tomb, to be near Jesus? How will you respond to Jesus? Isn't he worthy of everything? Absolutely everything. How can we hold back or withhold anything from Jesus who gave us all? God help us. God help us. Because it's not in us naturally. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of God that we might fully embrace Jesus, 
to the point of full association, full identity, and full obedience. The veil is torn and we have access to God through Jesus. We will be with him in paradise, an eternal hope because of Jesus. All the promises of God are now open to us because of Jesus. And our sins, past, present, future, are all forgiven. You know, Monday I sinned. I did. And I remembered it on Wednesday. I had been totally unmindful, even of the time when I sinned. And on Wednesday, it came to my mind. And I went, oh my goodness. I didn't tell the complete truth. I, I kind of did, but I didn't. And it was about a class that I kind of, I was supposed to take humanity core in college, in my third year of college. But I never got a chance to take humanity core because I met and married Brian Broderson. And so I've never finished college. And I made it sound like I'd taken humanity core. Now I'm confessing to the world. But I kind of said, because I was an English major, I had to take humanity core. But when I said I had, I was future tense, but I didn't really take it. But it was a requirement of, of an English major. And Wednesday, I thought, wow, I left that girl with the impression that I actually took that class when I was going to take that class, but never did. And all of a sudden, I began to say, oh, Lord, forgive me, forgive me. How can I have been walking with you this long? How can I know you as I do and mislead somebody? And that was for my own pride. And I wanted him to think more about me than his reality. Because Cheryl Broderson never took humanity core. She is a lousy sinner. And she missed the class, just like she missed the mark. And why did I let them think something? And Lord, forgive me. I'm a wretch. Blah, blah, blah. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, Cheryl, I brought it to your memory because I had already forgotten it. I had already forgiven it. He had already forgiven it. He just wanted me to know that he had already forgiven it. You see, when Jesus brings up your sin, it's only to show you how he's already forgiven how he's already cleansed because of the cross. It's already been taken care of, but he just wants you to know that for that thing also, he already paid the price. You might not have taken humanity core, but it's already taken care of. He's already done what was necessary for you to be in paradise, for you to have the promises of God, for you to be saved and forgiven and to have the presence of Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. The veil is torn. We have access to God. We will be with him in paradise. We are forgiven right now. And everything is under the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have the promises in his presence. No one else, no one else ever had the innocence, the integrity, made intercession for you with power, had the inscription, this is the king of the Jews, had the intentionality of Jesus to save men or brought about the immediacy or the great accomplishments that his death did for us. And today, Jesus of Nazareth stands before us and says, what will you do with me? What will you do with me? How much do you want to give me? 
How much will you yield? How much will you trust? How much will you entrust to me? It is the great either or. Receive, associate, identify, and devote, or reject. But why would you want to dismiss a king who is so compassionate, so full of integrity, accomplished so much, sacrificed, has the best kingdom and the best plans, who drank the cup of the wrath of God so that we could drink the cup that he offers us now of salvation. What do you want to do with Jesus? You can't simply dismiss Jesus. You cannot dismiss his absolute innocence, his complete integrity, his selfless intercession, his kingly inscription, his unwavering intentionality, nor his sacrificial work on the cross. There is no neutral standing with Jesus. He generates a response. As Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. Think about Jesus today and where you stand with him. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at the glory of the resurrection as we continue our Jesus Magnified study in the Gospel of Luke with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.